Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. To have Phil come back and uh, and just talk about what the Lord's done and and uh, interact with him. Hopefully, you've had some chance to visit with him, and uh, he's going to be here till Monday. But uh, he's also going to bring the word today. Uh, he has preached here for eight years, is that right? And uh, faithfully brought the word, and uh, so it's a pleasure to have him come back. Phil, come please, uh, share to us from God's word. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Wow. It is good to be here today, and uh, when I knew I was going to be in Chicago for a theology conference this last week, in fact, Rick and I were both at Moody Pastors Conference in May, and we hatched this idea back then that since I'm in Chicago, I can make a quick trip up to Washington Island, quick compared to Kansas, that's for sure, and, and be here this weekend, and I just love coming back, and Sandy and I both miss you all and the friendships we had, and uh, appreciate those of you who are on Facebook. We keep up with some of you on Facebook, and I appreciate the pictures for us. It is a prayer reminder to pray for you, and I still get the tidings every week, and I appreciate that little newsletter, and every time I get that, I pray uh, for Bethel Church and uh, what God is doing here, certainly praying for your search for a youth director uh, and asking God to lead and, and, and talking to Andy and to Rick. That's the, I know that search is still active. And so um, I just pray. But, but it's good to come back and see new faces too. People I don't recognize because that means the church is growing and God is doing some wonderful things here. And uh, uh, it's just good to be here today. So thank you, Rick, and all of you for letting me come up and uh, yak at you for a, a little while. I see that clock is still back there. I'll try to honor that clock. And uh, um, anyway, I, I know when it hits noon, that's when people get really nervous. So I'll, I'll try to honor that. In October 1909, Vancouver, British Columbia purchased its first motorized ambulance. In 1909, a new ambulance was a rare thing, but the city spared no expense to get the best one available. It was a Model 740 ambulance from New York, costing $4,000 at the time. Now, that was an astronomical sum because that's about $100,000 in today's currency. But just hours after being on the streets, the ambulance transported its first casualty. It was an American tourist from Ohio who had been out shopping in downtown Vancouver, and he was hit by the ambulance itself. One of the wealthy women who had worked hard to get the new ambulance summarized the facts in the simplest of terms. She said it killed him outright, so its first passenger went to the morgue. You know, sometimes a person's hope is misplaced. So where should you put your hope, especially in hard times? As you know, the book of Hebrews was 
written to a group of people experiencing severe persecution for their faith. Many had lost their jobs. Some had lost their lives. And they were beginning to wonder if following Jesus Christ was really worth it. And they were tempted to go back to the old Jewish religion because life seemed to be a little easier under the old system. And, of course, the book of Hebrews is written to encourage people, no, don't go back to the old way. Stick with Jesus Christ. Persevere with him. And in Hebrews 6, we find the place to put our hope and our confidence in those hard times. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 6. Now, I'm glad Rick covered the first part of that chapter. It's a challenging chapter for those students of the Word of God. Um, but uh, and So he took care of that for you. I'm going to pick it up in verse 9. Now, I know he covered some of these verses, but I'll back up just a little bit, so just put it in context. Hebrews 6, starting in verse 9, where it tells us the best place to put our hope. Take a look at it there. The Apostle Paul says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, in the context, if you remember what Rick told you last week, Paul had warned his readers about the consequences of not going on to maturity. If they didn't put God's word into practice and grow, then they would get to the point where it would be impossible to change their minds. Hebrews 6.6 says, to renew them to repentance. They're not losing their salvation here. They're just getting stubborn in their disobedience. You keep disobeying God, guess what? You get stuck on that path. And if you keep disobeying God, you become stubborn in that disobedience, and your life becomes wasted, verse 8 says. It's worthless and near. Notice it's near to being cursed. You don't want to do that. Paul says in here, verse 9, we are sure of better things concerning you, concerning his readers. Paul was convinced that his readers would go on to maturity because of their salvation. You see, spiritual growth belongs to salvation like the sun and its light or like fire and heat. They're inseparable. And so when it seems like your life has been stalled, when it seems like you're going nowhere in the midst of your pain, then first of all, put your hope in God's salvation. Put your confidence in the redemption that God offers through faith in Jesus Christ, his Son, and be sure that your salvation will bring about your sanctification. I know those are big theological words. I, I just came from a theology, theology conference, so I had to use a couple of them. In other words, be sure that your deliverance, your salvation, will produce your development into all that God has called you to be. Because when you put your trust in Christ, he not only saves you from hell, praise God, I got my fire insurance, but he also saves you from the bad habits that keep you from growing. One of the neat things we've just added to our church is a Celebrate Recovery ministry. It's a ministry towards those who um, are wrestling with addiction to drugs or alcohol or, uh, or other things. Uh, as they say, you know, if you, your habits are your hang-ups as well as your addictions. 
And it's been neat to watch the transforming power of God at work in the lives of these individuals because this is a Christ-centered recovery program. And uh, and that's what happens. We're seeing Jesus save people not only from hell but from bad habits that stall their spiritual growth. Tammy was a homeless woman who lived under a bridge in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Justin Borger, a pastor, heard about her situation, and he provided her with some basic hygiene supplies. And after that, he didn't hear from her for a few weeks until she called and said that she had been raped. Pastor Borger brought Tammy to the hospital, and she started attending his church The church also started providing vouchers so that she could buy food and other items. But Pastor Borger said that caused a problem because Tammy kept giving those vouchers to other people. And the pastor told her, Tammy, you need to keep this for yourself, otherwise you're going to run out of food. But living under the bridge meant living with other needy people. And it was unthinkable in her mind for her to receive a gift and not share it with others. And so with an incredulous stare, she said to her pastor, Why can't I give too? And he gave her a very pragmatic answer. We're giving this to you you and not to everybody you meet. It's for you. And yet he recognized the deeper problem. To only receive and never give back is to be belittled, it's to be humiliated. And over time, Pastor Borger had begun to think of Tammy as a kind of a pet project of his in which he was always the giver and she was always the recipient. But here's the good news of the gospel. God not only made us to be recipients of his grace, but also participants in the movement of his own generosity. You see, when God saved you, lavishing his grace so generously upon you, you cannot help but growing in sharing his generosity to others. When you know how much God has given you and blessed you, you can't keep it to yourself. And so if you're not growing, check to make sure that you have truly received God's grace, grace through faith in his Son and make sure that you're not dependent, depending on something you have done. You see, in the evangelical movement of which we're a part, I think one of the mistakes we have done over the, over the years is, is to, to tell people that if you pray a prayer, you're in. Uh, and so... Many of our children prayed prayers when they were little and there's no change in their life because they were trusting not in Christ. They were trusting in something they did or maybe if you raise a hand or walk an aisle. Now, I don't have any problem with praying a prayer or, or raising a hand or walking an aisle. Many of us came to faith in Christ that way. It's how we demonstrated our faith. But you've got to ask yourself, am I trusting in something I've done or am I trusting in Jesus? And if you're trusting in something you've done, if you're depending on yourself, stop the foolishness and transfer that dependence upon Christ who died for you and rose again. Trust Christ with your life and let him save you not only from hell, but from a wasted life lived only for yourself. On the other hand, if you are depending on Christ, 
And I have a sense that I'm speaking to an audience where most of you are. If you are depending on Christ, be sure that his grace will lead to your growth even in difficult times. And that's what Sandy and I have found over the last four and a half years since her workplace accident. Uh, As we have had to wrestle together through her disability, um, we have seen tremendous grace. And Sandy has just exhibited that, even though twice because of the brain injury she was diagnosed with uh, clinical depression, hospitalized twice for that that horrible disease, um, she has shown such sweetness of spirit and gratitude. It has just been phenomenal to me. But see, that's, that's what salvation is all about, not just giving you fire insurance from heaven. It's about, it's about changing the heart. And when it seems like you're going nowhere in your pain, put your hope in God's salvation, which will produce fruit in your life, guaranteed. And then second, put your hope in God's fairness. Be confident in God's justice. Be sure that God will deal with you rightly. Look at verse 10 of Hebrews 6. It says, For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Their their salvation had led to loving service, which God will not overlook. On the contrary, he will reward such service even if nobody else appreciates it. So put your hope in God's justice and look forward to his promised reward. Verse 11, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Don't give up your hope. I know it's hard when you're being persecuted for your faith, but don't give up your hope. Show that same assurance of hope to the end, verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Don't give up on God, he says, because you will receive what God has promised. You know, there have been times when... uh, You know, we've looked back over some of the struggles we have had, and I'm sure many of you have asked this same question, God, why me? What did I do to deserve this? It's like God says, no, no, you know, nothing. Just keep your hope in me. You will, you will get what I promise. You will get your just desserts. I will treat you rightly and fairly in the end. Just don't lose hope. In April 1967, hamburger lovers in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, met a newer, bigger burger. It was called the Big Mac. And for 45 cents, it delivered two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun. Remember that old jingle? A year later, the Big Mac was on the menu at McDonald's restaurants all over the United States, and by 1969, two years later, it accounted for 19% of the company's total sales. Today, the company sells about 550 million Big Macs annually in the United States alone and millions more in 100 countries around the world. Well, the Big Mac is very popular. In fact, I still get it every once in a while when I go to McDonald's, which is a lot fewer times these days. Um, but uh, I like it. But you've probably never heard of Jim Delegati. 
He's the McDonald's franchise owner who invented the Big Mac. Delegati owned about a dozen uh, franchises in the Pittsburgh area by the mid-60s, but he struggled to compete with the Big Boy and Burger King chains. Anybody ever remember the Big Boy hamburgers? Yeah. They're not around anymore. I think there are in just one or two locations, but I haven't seen them in a long time. Well, he pitched the idea to his bosses, and he faced stiff resistance. But McDonald's finally relented and agreed to let him try out the new Big Mac. And so the first Big Mac was introduced on April 22, 1967. Well, sales perked up immediately. The company rolled it out nationwide, backed by a powerful advertising campaign. In 1986, The Economist magazine actually introduced its Big Mac Index. I mean, it showed whether a currency is overvalued or undervalued based on the cost of a Big Mac in any one country relative to other countries. In 2007, Mr. Delegati opened the Big Mac Museum restaurant in North Huntington, Pennsylvania with a 14-foot-tall Big Mac sculpture as its centerpiece. Now, a lot of people assume that Delegati must have reaped a, a huge windfall worth billions of dollars from his invention of the Big Mac. Not so. In 2007, he told a local newspaper, all I got was a plaque. You see, in this world, we are not often recognized or appropriately rewarded, but not in God's world. Jesus says that he rewards even a cup of cold water given in his name. God will not forget, even though others will. And God will reward your faithfulness to him, so don't give up on God. Don't give up on him. When it seems like you're going nowhere in your pain, first, put your hope in God's salvation. Second, put your hope in God's fairness. And third, put your hope in God's faithfulness. Be confident in God's dependability. Be sure that God will keep his promises to you. Look at verse 13. It says, when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. Remember when you were kids, or I was a kid, I remember this, maybe you didn't do this. You know, we'd make a promise to our friend and say, um, uh, I swear to God, hope to die. Remember those? Well, God didn't have anybody greater to swear to. And himself, so he swore by himself. He made a promise, he swore by himself, saying, verse 14, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. If you underline in your Bible, underline patiently waited. See, God made a promise to Abraham and he kept it. All Abraham had to do was patiently wait for him. And that's all you need to do to obtain God's promise. All you need to do is patiently wait for him. Abraham was 100 years old when the promised child finally came. 100. Anybody here close to that? <laughs> you know, I don't see any 100-year-olds, so you still got some time to wait. 
patiently wait for him. Literally, the word means be long-tempered. We know what being short-tempered means, right? Use your patience, you, you, you get angry quickly. And I, I have to admit to you, in the last several months, uh, my temper has gotten shorter. I, I've become more impatient, not so much with Sandy, but with our grandkids who come to visit us every weekend. And I love our grandkids, but I, I have found that my patience has gotten a little bit shorter. And uh, I don't take it out on her, but sometimes on them. And that's not fair to them. Um, but God calls us to be slow to anger. And Sandy said, you know, when, when this opportunity came, she says, don't worry about me. You know, I'll take care of myself. And we have a, a church full of people that are watch, uh, checking in on her. But uh, she said, you need to get away, Phil. You just need to get away. You need to go up to the island where you can relax and, and find peace so that you can come back and, and be less impatient. Patiently wait. Be long-tempered. Especially when you don't get what you want right away or what you need. You know how often um, when we've gone to a doctor's office and maybe a new doctor or specialist to try to figure out what's going on with Sandy, and I pray, oh, Lord, give this doctor wisdom. Help us to know what's really going on, and we come away from another doctor's appointment disappointed, feeling like we've wasted time and money. God says to me, Phil, you've got to be patient. Just patiently wait. I'll keep my promise to you. My grace will be sufficient for you. Haddon Robinson tells the story of a young man from Chicago who traveled to the bluegrass regions of Kentucky. And while there, he met and fell in love with a young woman who ultimately became his bride, and he brought her back to Chicago after they got married. They enjoyed three lovely years of marriage, and then one day, in a seizure of pain, the young woman lost her mind. When she was at her best, she was a bit irrational. At her worst, she would scream, causing the neighbors to complain about all the noise. As you can imagine, living in an apartment complex downtown Chicago, it was not a very private place. And so the young businessman left his home in the middle of Chicago, went out to one of the western suburbs and built a house and determined that there he would try to nurse his wife back to health and back to sanity again. And one day the family physician suggested taking his wife to her Kentucky home where she grew up. He thought maybe the familiar surroundings might help restore her sanity. And so they returned to her old home where hand in hand they walked through its rooms with memories hanging on every corner. They went down to the garden and walked down by the riverside where the first cowslips and violets were in bloom, recalling their courtship together. But after several days, nothing seemed to happen. And so defeated and discouraged, the young man put his wife back in the car. And they headed back to their new home in the Chicago suburbs. And when he got close to the house, he looked over and discovered that his wife was asleep, and it was the first deep, restful sleep she had had in a long time. 
And when he got to the house, he lifted her from a car, took her inside, placed her on the bed, and realized that she wanted to sleep some more. And so he put a cover over her and then just sat by her side and watched her through the midnight hour. And he continued to watch her until the first rays of the sun reached through the curtain and touched her face. And the young woman awoke. She saw her husband seated by her side and she said, I seem to have been on a long journey. Where have you been? And that man speaking out of days and weeks and months of patient waiting and watching said, My sweetheart, I've been right here waiting for you all this time. See, that's a picture of God and his faithfulness to us. See, Haddon Robinson says that's the way God waits for you to respond to him. He's waiting for you to respond with love to love. He's waiting for you to respond with trust to his promise. He's waiting for you to cast yourself with a reckless abandon upon the grace of God. He's waiting for you to discover what it means to be loved by God. God waits patiently for you. That's his grace. You can wait patiently for him, can't you? For God that loves you that much. You see, when life is hard and it seems like God is unresponsive, just wait patiently for him to keep his promises to you. And then hold fast to your hope. That's the whole point of the rest of this chapter. Don't stop believing that God will come through for you. For God not only made a promise, he swore an oath to keep that promise. Look at verse 16 of Hebrews 6. It says, For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is a final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, the promise and the oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. I told you, underline, patiently wait in verse 15. Here, underline, hold fast to the hope set before you in verse 18. See, God made a promise and he swore by himself. And so based on those two unchangeable things, you can be absolutely certain of your ultimate salvation. You can be absolutely certain that you will make it to glory. You see, this promise to Abraham came years after Abraham had already received his promised son Isaac. In fact, the promise came right after Abraham had nearly sacrificed Isaac before God stopped him. You remember the story. God said to Abraham, take Isaac, your only son. Ishmael he had already sent away. So Isaac was the only one left, the one through whom God had promised to bless the world. God said to Abraham, take Isaac, your only son. Take him to a place I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice him as a whole burnt offering. That meant there was nothing left over. You might be able to scrape some of the ashes off the altar, but that was it. Genesis 22 says, Abraham rose early in the morning. 
as they came to the mountains of Moriah, the place where Israel's temple once stood in Jerusalem. As they began to ascend that mountain, Abraham left the servants behind. Isaac, his son, probably a teenager at the time, a young boy, certainly stronger than a hundred and... Now, at this time, 115, 16-year-old man. They're going up the mountain, and Isaac says, we have the flint knife, we have the fire, the flint, we have the wood for the sacrifice, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham, in faith, said to Isaac, God will provide for himself the lamb. Now, Abraham thought that lamb was his son, Isaac, but as you remember the story, as Abraham is about ready to plunge the knife into Isaac's heart, God stops him. And there, caught in the, 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 the bushes, is a ram. And that ram is sacrificed in Isaac's place. You know, it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. When God's only son was about to be sacrificed, there was no one to stop God's hand. God, this is a crass way to put it, but God killed his son. We should have been on that cross. But God did not spare his own son. He died for us. He was the lamb that God provided Well, after that incident where Abraham nearly sacrifices his son, God says to him in response, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed. This is God's promise of blessing through Abraham's offspring. And according to Galatians 3.16, that offspring, singular, is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one in whom all of the nations will be blessed. And so when you flee for refuge to him, God blesses you in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, according to Ephesians chapter 1. And that includes the seal of his spirit, who is God's guarantee of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it in glory. Dear believer, your salvation is secure because God secured it with a promise and an oath. And maybe in this life you'll never see the justice. You'll never see the glory, but you will in the next. So hold fast to the hope set before you, verse 18 says. Don't give up on Christ because he will anchor your soul on a stormy sea as you make your way to heaven. Oh, and how you have felt that anchor in our own soul, especially in the last few years. Verse 19 as we finish up the chapter. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor. What's this? This promise of God. A blessing through Jesus. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the sure and steadfast anchor of your soul that will never slip nor break. 
Let me tell you, no earthly anchor can give you that kind of security. You know, they don't call the passage here to the island death's door for nothing. How many of those ancient ships and boats went down in that passage? Their anchors didn't hold. As the waters of Green Bay and the waters of Lake Michigan in the middle of the storm came up and just sunk so many ships. Not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. Furthermore, unlike any earthly anchor, Jesus' anchors are upward, not downward. You know, you throw a, a ship's anchor over the side of the ship, it goes down. But here it says um, in verse 19, our anchor has gone behind the curtain in heaven's holy of holies. It goes into heaven, not to earth. I love the way Warren Wiersbe puts it. He says, we are anchored not to stand still, but to move ahead. More than that, Jesus is our forerunner, verse 20 says. In other words, he's gone into heaven so that we might follow. Stuart Briscoe talks about his days as a Marine, when he was training as a Marine, and they would have to practice climbing the cliffs from the ocean. And what they would do as a team of Marines, they would send one guy up with a rope tied to his uh, waist to climb the cliff and then anchor that rope somewhere on top of that cliff. And once it was anchored, the rest of the ones could follow. He was the forerunner. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's climbed the way up to heaven. He's anchored that anchor, if you will, in a secure place in heaven. And we can follow. You see, the Old Testament high priest was not a forerunner, if you think about it, because when he went into the Holy of Holies in the earthly temple, nobody could follow him. They'd die. But Jesus Christ has gone into heaven so that one day we might follow. Your promised inheritance in heaven is secure. So hold fast to your hope and don't give up until you reach those mountains of glory. The movie Alive with Ethan Hawke tells the true story of a Uruguayan rugby team whose plane crashed in the Andes Mountains in 1972. And the film portrays the struggle of those who survived the crash to maintain hope and to stay alive. And eventually, three of the survivors decide to leave the crash site and attempt to make it through the mountains to get help. And after days and days of trekking through mountainous terrain, they take a break. And while one of them rests just below a mountain peak, Knessa makes his way to the top where Nando is, is surveying the scenery. And as Knessa gets to the top and looks around at the stunning beauty of numerous mountain ranges, he finds only despair. Take a look at this scene. Nanda? Nothing but mountains. We've had it. 
No, we haven't. In two of these mountains somewhere, there's a green valley. See these mountains over here? There's no snow on them. This mountain's must be 50 miles away. You think I can walk 50 miles? If we have to, we will. I can't. Yes, you can. I can't. I'm not as strong as you. You know what it is that we've lived this long the way we have? 70 days that we climb this mountain, you know what it is? It's impossible. It's impossible, and we did it. I know. I'm proud to be a man on a day like this. Alive. That I live to see it. And see it in such a place. Take it in. I love you, man. Look. It's magnificent. It's God. And it'll carry us over every stone, I swear. I swear it to you. Tintin, we're gonna send him back down to the plane. We'll take his extra food. You see? You see where the sun's gonna set? That way's west. And to the west of the green valleys of Chile. We're gonna die, you know. Maybe. But if we die, we're gonna die walking. that don't you yeah we might die but we're gonna die walking I love that attitude as it turns out they end up making it to safety and return with two, with rescue helicopters to pick up the remaining survivors but it is their hope that keeps them going and that's it and it's only your hope that will keep you going as well so whatever you do hold fast to your hope In the midst of your pain, when it seems like you're getting nowhere, first, put your hope in God's salvation. Second, put your hope in God's fairness. And third, put your hope in God's faithfulness. And don't let it go. Don't put your hope in any human being. Put your hope in the Lord, because he swears he will carry you over every stone until you make it safely home. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope, the assurance that's ours in Jesus Christ, through whom you have promised to bless all who put their faith in him. And Father, many of us in this room, I hope all of us in this room, have put our trust in Christ. But sometimes life gets hard and we're tempted to give up. Oh, Lord, help us not to give up. 
Help us to keep our hope in you because you have promised to see us through to the end. You will complete that work that you began in us until the day of Jesus Christ. And we hang on to that promise, secured with an oath. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.